Hey everyone, welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronicle of WCW's flagship program, the program that ultimately lost the Monday Night Wars. I am your host through this uh, trip through the 90s, Tim Root, with me, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited for this. Uh, the very first Monday Nitro um, is especially dear to my heart. Um, as we will get into as far as the location is concerned. Uh, but Monday Nitro had a lot of ups, had a lot of downs. Um, but just going through it in chronological order, we'll be able to relive all these things. Now, for background on us, uh, just for myself, I was a WWF fan growing up. Um, I didn't really, like, I was very loyal to one particular brand. So uh, I certainly watched some Nitro during commercial breaks. Um, and when they added that, uh, or that, you know, they would have an hour that was on earlier than Raw. Yeah. And I would watch some of that. I wouldn't really, like, sit down and make sure to catch the whole hour. Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, around 99, 2000, when I was in my, um, the most I was into wrestling, probably until nowadays when I'm, I'm more into wrestling than I was even then. But at that point, WCW was really at its lowest point. So yes. at the most I was into wrestling in the era that WCW was on, they were not putting out a product that was really worth watching. Yeah, And that's something that I kind of uh, I learned talking to other friends and people I know that watch wrestling is that a lot of people seem to pick sides. Right. Um, but I, I watch both. I try to watch as much of both as possible. I didn't record them. I have heard some people that like recorded one then watched the other. I just kind of flipped back and forth and picked uh, like interesting matches or interesting things that are happening. Uh, but I watched Monday Nitro during the the wars like from the start to the very bitter end. Okay, so you you remember when this this debut episode happened? Yes. Yep. And in fact, I was there um, for a little bit before the show started. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, as some people, as people may or may not know, the very first Monday Nitro was in the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota. Yep. And it, at the very beginning, it was just a one hour show. Uh, as you'll see, there's only three matches, I believe. Um, but they did have dark matches beforehand and my family went to the mall during that time and we got to see one of the dark matches. Oh, okay. Um, which was, it was Bunkhouse Buck mm-hmm. and Dirty Dick Slater. Uh, against the American Males. And I believe uh, Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater were the tag team champions at this point? Yes. Okay. Um, they were cur- they were in, had a feud with Harlem Heat at this time. Okay. Um, and I don't... I think American Males were kind of jobbers. I think they were pretty new at this point. Yeah. Uh, they were like two young guys that they just kind of put together because they had nothing else for them to do. Right. With, the, with their Chippendale outfits. Um. Yeah, so I watched a little bit of that, and somehow, I don't even remember how we did this, but we got back to Cannon Falls and were able to watch the main event on TV. Oh, wow. And <laughs> Because, I mean, 95, the Mall of America was just like <laughs> crazy busy. Oh, and, yeah. Because it opened could, in 93, I think. 92, so it was still a pretty yeah. new, new thing to... Uh, for those, anyone who happens to listen that doesn't know, uh, we are both from the Minneapolis area. Um, so the Mall of America is in Bloomington, Minnesota, but that's close enough 
Uh, it's just a suburb of Minneapolis. Uh, as anyone watching this first episode of Nitro will notice, they just refer to it as Minneapolis throughout the program. Yeah. So the date of this debut episode was September 4th, 1995. Uh, we won't go into a huge history of WCW. Suffice it to say, uh, we just we feel that ground's been covered by a number of other podcast books. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're interested in a show about Monday Nitro... You know enough about WCW already where we're not going to bore you with the story <laughs> right. of Ted Turner buying uh, Jim Crockett promotions, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Mm. I think they were hoping, and by airing this episode on a week that Raw was preempted, Raw did not air this week because I believe the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament, uh, they were hoping that someone flipping the channels because Raw wasn't where it was mm-hmm. would stumble on it, and maybe they were casual enough to just basically think it was the same thing. And then maybe they tune in next week, and then you've got one new fan, and Raw has one less fan. Yeah, and actually Monday Night Raw, um, this was the second week off it had. Um, it wasn't on the week before. Uh, the week before that, their last show, they announced that they're going to have the uh, quote-unquote new fall season. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they acted like it was the season finale yeah. of Raw, which is a weird concept. Yeah, I, I, I tried to look it up as far as why it was preempted. I don't think it was U.S. Open. I, I couldn't. It could have been the it. dog show. It was always it was always seemed like it was tennis or the Westminster dog show. Yeah, it seemed really early in when Raw was around that they were not a huge priority. Yeah. Um, so I was one thing I was interested in when I was reading about the history. Um, you know, there's a famous story of so WCW had Hulk Hogan at this point. They signed him in '94. Um, so Ted Turner went to Bischoff, uh, Eric Bischoff, who was the executive producer of WCW, and basically asked him why uh, the ratings for WCW's flagship show, which at that time was Saturday night, uh, why it lo- why it had lower ratings than Raw. Ted said, oh, Eric, what are we going to do to compete with WWE? I wasn't prepared for that, and I stuttered and said uh, uh, um, give me prime time and I'm thinking he'll never do that he'll never put WCW on prime time it was a safe thing to say I mean after all WWE was on prime time on USA Network at the time lo and behold Ted looked right at me and said two hours every Monday night on TNT so it was I mean that kind of uh, impulse that led to the show so Bischoff, in promoting the show and in hyping it, um, told the media he he predicted within three years that he would be standing alone. Uh, so in other words, that WWF would be dead within three years of 95. Um, and given the way that things looked at the time, that wasn't necessarily that far off. No, I mean, 90, 97, just two years later, I mean, WWF had a lot of trouble in WCW. Uh, I mean, that whole year was sort of like they couldn't do anything wrong. Right, yeah, and, and I mean, WWF came very close to folding. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bischoff, I mean, that sounds like a pretty incredible boast, but really, it it was it almost came to fruition, um, and we'll, we'll certainly talk about that in the weeks uh, and months ahead. But even though he was publicly making those bold declarations, uh, advertisers were told that to expect the show to average about a 2.0 rating. Um, oh, okay. And Raw at the time was averaging 2.5. So 
um, sort of in a more business sense, they were a little more modest with their goals, mm-hmm. um, which is good. I mean, it's it's probably good on both fronts. It's good to sell your show realistically, but it's good to have um, a bombastic person like Bischoff out there in front hyping his show as the premier mm-hmm. wrestling show. Um, and why not? He's got the premier stars. He's got Hulk Hogan. He has Randy Macho Man Savage had defected by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got Sting and Ric Flair, who are more homegrown talents. Uh, so it made perfect sense for him to to be like that uh, as the public face of the company. Yeah, and and as far as what you're saying is him putting himself out there. I mean, he did it literally on the show too because he was the main play by play guy. He was like the face you saw right away when Nitro right. starts, and that's that was the same thing that Vince was doing. So I I feel like he was again copying the formula of Vince McMahon and and being the main play by play guy. So, journey back with us, everyone, to September 4th, 1995. The number one pop song in the country is Waterfalls by TLC. <laughs> nice. The number one movie in theaters, can you guess? Braveheart? Mortal Kombat. Ooh. So, a much better movie. <laughs> That's for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, the first thing we see as the show starts is uh, we get the Nitro intro, which is kind of perusing some dark and dingy uh, city streets Mm -hmm. while random sparks and explosions happen and there's flames uh, at random times. Mm -hmm. A streetlight explodes into a shower of sparks. And uh, interestingly enough, in this intro, projected onto buildings, we see some footage of four different wrestlers, and they are uh, Hulk Hogan, Mm -hmm. Sting... Randy Macho Man Savage, and do you remember the fourth one? Was it Vader? It is Vader. <laughs> now, do you want to guess at a wrestler who never once appeared on Monday Nitro? Would that be Vader? It would be Vader. <laughs> Vader, uh, and this this comes into play a few different points during the episode that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was originally scheduled to be Hogan's opponent uh, during the show, or at least have a run-in during the main event. Different plans were talked about um but shortly before the premiere of this episode he got in a backstage fight with paul orndorff uh which was blamed on vader it was it was pretty much pegged as his fault and uh, as far as i understand it he was never seen in wcw again despite being um a huge name for the company a former wcw champion mm-hmm. in the early 90s so the first people we see are our three announcers for the evening eric bischoff Bobby the Brain Heenan, two um, big names in wrestling that we probably don't need to give much background on. But our third announcer is Steve Mongo McMichael. Uh, He is a defensive tackle and first-team All-American from the University of Texas who was drafted by the Patriots in 1980, uh, joined the Bears in 1981 where he won a Super Bowl in 85 and went to the Pro Bowl in 1986 and 87. Uh, Mike Ditka told him that he was or, or said publicly that uh, Mongo was the toughest player he ever coached which uh, coming wow. from Ditka who's one of those guys who prizes hardness and toughness above everything is, mm-hmm. is really kind of saying something uh, but I thought it, one thing that was funny was uh, like all or not all but like a lot of WCW's talent uh, he first appeared in WWF uh, he had appeared uh, in a couple of appearances supporting with Lawrence Taylor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In the mm-hmm. lead up to WrestleMania 11, he had shown up a few times in support of uh, fellow football player Lawrence Taylor, who was having a match against Bam Bam Bigelow. And uh, it, in those appearances, there included a spot where Mongo did guest commentary alongside Vince McMahon. 
So um, apparently Bischoff liked enough from this performance to pay him a few million dollars uh, to come aboard. I I believe the idea was that he would come aboard as an announcer while he was training as a wrestler. Um, I mean, that's certainly how it worked out. Mm -hmm. I would have a hard time believing that that wasn't the plan all along because I don't know why you would sign uh, an American football player to just be a color commentator, especially when... Uh, he is garbage at it. He is so, so terrible. Well, the, the other thing about Mongo McMichael is um, leading up to the debut show of Monday Nitro, they were hyping up an Emmy Award-winning sportscaster was oh. going to be joining them. And I, so I, in preparation for this, I was watching the previous show, which was Clash of the Champions. Yep. Uh, that was in August. And it featured a lot of Bobby Heenan trying to find out who the person was and making guesses as far as like, uh, Dick Ebersole or uh, Bob Costas or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But uh, Steve McMichael won an Emmy in 1994 for his work on the Chicago post-game show for the Chicago Bears. That's, I mean, I've never heard him break down football, admittedly. Right. But, I mean, that's baffling because he is so <laughs> terrible. The first thing he says after being introduced in here mm-hmm. is he says the Mall of America, you know, he says that it's basically a tremendous uh, facility. And then he says, this place is apropos. And then he says, Hello, everybody. I'm Eric Bischoff, along with the newest member of the WCW broadcast team. Hey, you made it to the big leagues, buddy. Stephen Michael. Look at this venue here. This place is apropos. And that don't mean you're digging around in the dirt with farm implements, baby. This means this is a championship place to showcase championship athletes. And that doesn't mean that you're out digging around with farm implements. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I, I, I'm almost impressed at first because apropos, he's saying this is, you know, the, the, the giant mall of America is very appropriate for the moment. Mm-hmm. That's a nice, that's a fancy word to use for such an yeah. occasion for a, a football player from Texas. Mm-hmm. But then he immediately makes, like, <laughs> who, who thinks that apropos means using farm implements? It doesn't <laughs> sound like, I just don't know what he could possibly mean by that. So literally from his first sentence in his first show, mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck this guy is talking about. <laughs> and you got the whole gamut of something that sounds really great and something that sounds incredibly <laughs> stupid. <laughs> right. And so you're wondering exactly what you're going to get for the next hour. <laughs> so they immediately established the rapport that uh, Heenan's the heel, Mongo is the babyface announcer. They're going to bicker and argue, and Bischoff is mostly going to play the straight man uh, mm-hmm. play-by-play guy. Um, and let it let it not go without saying that he is as bad at that job as Mongo is a color commentator. Yeah, Bischoff has no idea how to call a match. Mm-hmm. He knows a few moves more than Vince McMahon, I would say, but he is also very reliant on what a maneuver, right. what a tremendous move. Mm-hmm. You know, very those just generic. Yeah, wow, what an outstanding offense. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. And by, and by the way, Bobby Heenan was like was pretty much completely his had a game going on with these two. Yeah. Barely scraping together conversations. I mean, Bobby Heenan from the very beginning, I mean, because they're doing this thing where it's like as soon as he meets McMichael, he's not a fan of his. Right. Um, he's purposely tell, calling that he's on the wrong team. Right. Getting his last name wrong. Keeps asking Eric Bischoff how long he's going to be with them. Right. <laughs> In, in which I thought it was interesting that Eric Bischoff didn't reply. 
Right. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say, it's like, oh, he's actually going to be here for a long right. time. But he didn't say anything. And to me, that was a little bit worrisome. <laughs> I also, um, you know, Heenan, uh, and we'll, we'll see if this is true. I mean, a lot of what I want the show to be is, um, especially for me, having not watched a lot of WCW, mm-hmm. I want to see how much the things that I've heard about WCW are true. Because um, certainly there is a narrative uh, from WWE right now that's very much rewriting history. Um, basically, very WCW much. always sucked. Everything about it sucked. The NWO was kind of cool, but then it sucked. And then DX single-handedly won the Monday Night Wars and no one else was involved. Right. Um, I, I think at that point we should note the fact that these shows are being watched on the WWE Network. So, Oh, yes. Um, I'm not sure how much editing goes into this. Right. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I can pick up if they have changed music. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say that's a good point because I feel like I'm probably just never going to talk very much about people's theme music because I don't know if it was their theme at the time or if it's shitty piped in right. uh, WWE Network themes. I just don't know. So after we get to know our announced team, Bischoff throws it to the first match. They really, uh, they get to the first match pretty quickly, mm-hmm. which is, I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they picked a great match for their first match, in my opinion, or, or at least on paper, a great match. It's a Super Brawl 2 rematch between Jushin Thunder Liger of mm-hmm. New Japan Pro Wrestling and Brian Pillman. Yep. Flying Brian Pillman. Yes. Um, Brian Pillman previously in WCW uh, had been known um, as part of the ho- one half of the Hollywood Blondes with a young man named Stunning Steve Austin who yep. would go on to great fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jushin Thunder Liger was a New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, wrestler. They had a working agreement with WCW. Um, so he started wrestling in 1984. It is now 2015, and he is still wrestling today. Yeah. Uh, by the time that this episode airs, he will have appeared at NXT Takeover uh, on the WWE Network. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. That's and and he's not. Um, when you think of guys like that, you think of Ric Flair and his saggy man boobs hanging around, mm-hmm. fighting, uh, you know, Abyss and TNA or whatever. Jushin Liger, he can still go to some degree. I mean, it's, yeah. his ring work is. Certainly not what it was in 1984 or 1994 or 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Jushin Liger match. You know, it's it's not in, an embarrassment. Yeah. It also helps that he has a like a full body suit and a mask. So any sort of aging is not apparent either. So right. as far as we know, he's immortal. <laughs> Both of these guys, uh, interestingly enough, did some training at the Heart Dungeon in Calgary. Um Jushin Liger just a little bit, but Brian Pillman, that was his primary training ground. Yeah. Um, he ended up in Calgary after trying to catch on in the Canadian Football League um, when an NFL career didn't work out. Uh, one thing, as Liger is introduced, Steve McMichael says that he hopes that uh, Liger left his Ginsu knives at home because that would be... And then asks if that's illegal in this league. <laughs> Bischoff says that, yes, Ginsu knives are indeed <laughs> illegal in the WCW. Uh, but... But, uh, you know, our babyface announcer is making racist comments about a babyface wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so welcome to 1995, everybody, because <laughs> apparently this this is just not a problem. <laughs> Bischoff laughs like, oh, good one, Mongo. <laughs> so, 
So he's making offensive racist comment before the first match he ever announces starts. <laughs> so the match starts. Um, it kind of at first seems like there's some timing issues mm-hmm. that, that are off a little bit. Um, there's one part where uh, Pillman is chasing uh, Liger into the corner and, and Liger's supposed to do a moonsault into him. Um, but Liger's moving a lot slower than Pillman thought. Mm-hmm. So Pillman ends up standing in the middle of the ring, pausing there awkwardly for no reason. Yeah. While Liger climbs up to the top rope and then hits the moonsault <laughs> into him. Um, and at that point, commentary starts talking about Liger coming off of an injury. He was out for an entire year with, I, they said a broken leg, but it must have been, I mean, to lose a year to a broken leg. I mean, I don't know if it was broken in multiple places. or. I was pretty sure they said that Brian Pillman also had just come back and it was like his second or third match. Mm. That could be. So that, you know, there might be some ring rust. There might be, um, even for two veterans like this, there might be a little bit of nerves because this is the first yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're pros, but something like that could just... And it's, it's really, it's in the early stages of the match. As things go on, they definitely settle down. Yeah. And things get a lot smoother, a lot and, crisper. And also, to Eric Bischoff's credit, he pointed out pretty quickly that there was. I feel like it, it kind of goes over a little bit better if the announcers are like, at least like, well, it looks like he didn't quite hit that move. Or, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think it just plays off a lot better if, uh, if the announcers don't pretend everything is going smoothly. So after an Irish whip from Pillman to Liger, Bobby the Brain says... He whipped him from Bloomingdale's to Macy's and back, which I really liked. Uh, there's some more high-flying action, a lot of kicks. Uh, then they settle into some rest holds for a little bit. Um, Liger eventually hits a really great drop toll hold and then a surfboard uh, submission match. So I really like that. The crowd at that point starts to chant USA. So these guys are two baby faces. Mm-hmm. Pillman is actually, if I, I think at this point, has started to kind of be a tweener um, because he's been supporting Arn Anderson in Arn's sort of um, feud, I guess. Yeah, Arn's feud with Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, I think that it started before this premiered. So it's funny that an American tweener is still preferable to a foreign babyface to the Minneapolis faithful. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, Pillman, uh, in probably the best move of the match, hits a huge dropkick as uh, Liger comes off the top rope with with a flying nothing. Yes, and and the announcers really they they were very impressed by that because they were typically saying that was they, they consider it to be a defensive dropkick right. instead of an offensive dropkick, and they kind of went on about that for a yeah. while. I feel like that they were just really happy there was a big spot that worked out for them. I believe it was that moment uh, where Mike Mongo says, and I quote, "That's right, give it to him, give it to him the way he wants it." No, I. I know that most of wrestling can be read as very homoerotic in, if you just look at it through that lens. And things like give it to him, okay, that is a double... I, I don't necessarily giggle at that, but give it to him the way that he wants it? I don't think that he wanted it that way at all. No. It was such a... Even from a wrestling standpoint, he's not asking for offense to be done to him. So, what one note on the match... Um, that's not about either of the wrestlers, but this this was Nick Patrick, I believe, the referee in this one. And yeah. I can't stand, and this is true of a lot of WCW referees, mm-hmm. I can't stand, his pin, uh, uh, his counting at the pin style 
is terrible. Mm-hmm. He, like, I don't know how to describe it. He kind of lays on his side, and his arm motion is very floppy and lazy, unlike a very deliberate, yeah. you know. Um, and he's just, he seems out of position a lot. He, mm-hmm. at one point, Liger hits a huge power bomb uh, and pins Pillman, and uh, Nick Patrick's count, he slaps, his two count is on Brian Pillman's arm. He's so badly out of position. So I just wanted to note that I think Nick Patrick kind of sucks, and I'm definitely going to be watching for that as we go forward. Yeah, I also remember that he, I think a couple of the referees do the kind of sliding down into the into their count position, mm-hmm. but they do it in a way where it looks like they're still kind of rebounding sort of their legs up in the air. Yeah. And I think at the re- the replay for the very end, you can just see Nick Patrick's leg sticking like into the <laughs> screen, and then you're just... It doesn't make it, but I mean, whatever it is, those WCW referees were all taught like this is the way to do yeah, it, yeah. and it and in comparison to like WWF, it's distinctly different. Yes, uh, the speed of their count, the way that they position them. I mean, the positioning for WCW referees is awful. Oh yeah, very well, much so. The ending of this match uh, comes when Liger tries to hit a German suplex. Um, and Brian Pillman manages to reverse it into a cradle. Uh, this match was six minutes and 53 seconds long, um, so not a ton of time, and, and maybe that's part of why the timing was off at the beginning because mm-hmm. they're trying to fit a lot into a short time. But for a seven-minute match, um, I thought it was pretty good. I, I certainly didn't have any major problems with it other than the timing issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for 95, it was a pretty futuristic futuristic it was it was ahead of its time a little bit yeah and i think the crowd didn't quite know what to make of it because of that but they got Mm -hmm. into it by the end they certainly popped pretty big at the ending yeah and and i also feel that when people look back at nitro they really they remember that was the first match on the first nitro i mean there's no question you might not remember all the other matches that happened on that show but the first match which should kind of stand out anyway right i think they did a really good job of having like that one kind of it's kind of lived on throughout the, the memories of Nitro. And it's a great contrast to the WWF style at the time mm-hmm. um, to say, you know, you're used to watching Raw and seeing Doink squash a guy and then seeing Crush squash a guy. Or and Isaac the, Yankum, DDS. Right. And then the main event, you see two guys who you know, and they mm-hmm. actually put on a, a little bit of a match. Right. Here, our very first match is two guys that can wrestle. Neither mm-hmm. one of them is a jobber. It's not a squash match. And they're not just clubbing each other with punch kick the whole time. Mm-hmm. They're doing some crazy moves. It's an international uh, event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bischoff uh, uses the match to point out a few times that there's going to be other Japanese stars and other international stars. He sort of lays the groundwork here um, for what's going to be the cruiserweight division, that they're inviting all these great international cruiserweights yeah. to come to WCW. And that really, um, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but, I mean, as, as almost everyone knows, that really pays dividends for WCW in the long run. So uh, Bischoff tosses its commercial. On our way out to commercial, we see a little inset promo from Sting. Uh, <laughs> sure do. <laughs> it's a very standard 95 uh, mm-hmm. inset promo where they're little in the little box, you know, within the screen. Mm-hmm. Um and he yells at Ric Flair, and he warns Ric Flair that no one can lock on the Scorpion Deathlock like Sting can. And I was wondering about this. At first, I thought that was dumb because, of course, he's the only one that does the Scorpion Deathlock. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, do you think this is maybe a shot at Bret Hart? It could be. Um, I also kind of felt that 
mean, that promo was more like, to me, felt like he didn't really know what he was going to say. So sure. he was going to, he was like, I'm going to hit you with the stinger splash. I'm going to do this move. That's it's my good moves. So yeah. No one else does it like I do. Um, it also, I, I think that they were on one of the upper floors in the mall and he was in a restaurant uh, okay. because you could hear as soon as they went to him that there was people screaming yeah. and it seemed like he was shouting. Maybe he couldn't hear what he was saying. <laughs> I don't know. Or I, hear his thoughts <laughs> about what he was going to say. Right. I just, just, for some reason that promo was just like so goofy right? because he was just like, my name is Sting, and these are the moves I do. <laughs> and I'm going to do them to my opponent, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. So, but before, uh, so we come back from commercial, and before we get Sting uh, following through on his promise to Ric Flair mm-hmm. to do those Sting moves only the way that Sting can. Right. First, we get a wonderful pre-taped interview uh, with Eric Bischoff interviewing Hulk Hogan up in the food court. At Hulk Hogan's Pasta Mania. Pasta Mania. And welcome back to the action here on WCW Monday Nitro on TNT. And it has been a Monday Nitro weekend here at the Bottle of America. Earlier, we had a chance to catch up with our own WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the one, the only, Hulk Hogan. Check it out. All right, Michael Jordan's got his restaurant in Chicago. Coach Don Shula of the Miami Dolphins, he's got a steakhouse. But WCW's own world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan, he's got Mania in the Mall of America. I want to try to get a word with him if I can squeeze in there. Hulk Hogan coming up. Debut edition of Monday Nitro. You've got Big Bub in the main event. Who's the greatest wrestler in the world? You know something, Eric Bischoff? Tonight on Monday Nitro, Pasta Mania is going to all my Hulkamaniacs running wild. And I've eaten so many Hulkaroos and Hulkaroos, I kind of feel sorry for Big Bubba, brother. Because tonight, brother, first time on TNT, I'm putting the WCW heavyweight title on the line. And with Pasta Mania running through my brain, who's going to beat Big Bubba tonight, Hulkamaniacs? And when I'm done dragging him around the Mall of America and all my pasta maniacs are tearing their WCW shirts off, brother, I'm going to give Big Bubba a dose of my Hulkaroos up there, and then I'm going to body slam him again. You know, with little Hulkamaniacs like that, pasta maniacs all around the Mall of America, Big Bubba, you better tighten up that waistline, brother, because the Hulkster slim and trim. I've been eating my pasta mania, and what you gonna do in the Mall of America, brother, when Hulk Hogan, pasta mania, and all my pasta maniacs run wild on you? What's he gonna do? All right. I'm going to. I'm not gonna recap too much what Hogan says because we're definitely going to just put in that entire promo. Oh yeah. So that the listeners can hear the entire. Oh, thing. it is just. It is all over the place. He is trying to describe beating a guy while also eating spaghetti yeah. it just hulkaroos hulkaroos i'm assuming those are like spaghettios um or something yeah I, uh but did you ever go to pasta mania i i know i went at least once it's insane to me that i loved wrestling as much as i did and i loved hulk hogan although uh, i kind of when he went to wcw i was i was such a partisan mm-hmm. wwf fan that i was like you know i don't care about hogan anymore but I can't believe that living close to a Hulk Hogan restaurant 
in the Mall of America where I loved going as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe that I never went, but I have no memory of ever going to Pasta Mania. Yeah, I mean, I personally have, haven't really been a big Hulk Hogan fan, but I was more on the lines of it's a wrestling-themed food place. So yeah. I was excited about that. Yeah. For the record, in 1995, I was 12 years old. So <laughs> that <Yeah. laughs> sort of thing would be exciting to someone that's 12. Um, I know I didn't go that day because it was crazy. Yeah. Um, I know I went at least once, and I know that it was awful. My, my two favorite parts of the promo are um, when he says, I think he means to say that he's got pasta mania running through his veins, but instead he says, I have pasta mania running through my brain, <laughs> which just makes it sound like you've eaten so many carbs that you can no longer think straight. He's had some kind of diabetic coma. <laughs> yeah. uh, What's uh, the second part? <laughs> uh, my second favorite part, uh, he says that he almost feels bad for Bubba because he's eaten so much pasta that he's going to beat Bubba then feed Bubba some Hulkaroos, <laughs> then body slam him again. <laughs> so he's going to get him full of fucking pasta and then beat him up some more. Yeah. That's just, that's Hogan all over. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, and we'll talk about this uh, in the main event. He, he's a baby face who is a heel. Like yes. that's somehow has become his gimmick. Yes. And it wasn't WWF. He always was like that. He always mm-hmm. wrestled like a heel he acted like a petulant child when things didn't go his way. Yeah. Um, but it was just sold that he was the greatest guy in the world, and so you believed it, even though everything in front of your eyes told you the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite thing of the many things uh, about that Pasta Mania segment, yeah. it was while Hulk Hogan was talking, Eric Bischoff would occasionally turn back to the camera with the biggest shitting grin <laughs> I have ever seen. And I don't know if he was, like, just trying to sell yeah. the whole thing or if he was like, this is a great idea. I'm so happy that we're getting this in. So our second match uh, is Ric Flair versus Sting for Sting's United States. Well, I wasn't sure. Was the belt on the line? The it United was, States yes. Okay. Yep. So this was for Sting's United States Championship. Both of these guys were former WCW heavyweight champions. Mm-hmm. Um, but now Hogan's here. So... Yep. Uh, Ric Flair had spent most of uh, the months after Hogan debuted losing to Hogan over and over and over again, mm-hmm. including dropping the heavyweight championship to Hogan in Hogan's first WCW match. Yep. Um, Sting has spent most of his time since then basically playing second fiddle to Hogan and helping Hogan in his feuds with um, the evil stable Three Faces of Fear and then Three Faces of Fear's sort of child, the Dungeon of Doom, mm-hmm. who Hogan is still feuding with. Uh, as our show debuts today. Yeah. When Hogan showed up, the the guys that suffer the most were Ric Flair and Vader, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't I don't feel like Hogan had a lot of matches with other guys right. up until that point. He kind of, they either trade him off or there's tag team matches. Eventually, uh, Brutus Beefcake showed up and he had matches with Brutus Beefcake. Yep. But... I mean, those two, they were dropped down quite a few pegs when Hogan showed up. And and it really emasculates the other top baby faces because Sting does nothing but help Hogan out. Mm-hmm. Macho Man, when he defected, they tease that he's going to fight Hogan, but no, no. He shows up in WCW and he just kind of helps Hogan. Mm-hmm. So now Sting and Macho are just Hogan's buddies who aren't as good as him, yeah. you know, and they think that it's great that he's the champ. And they have no desire to try to take that belt off him. Mm-hmm. 
as uh, it's either Sting or Flair, as one of these guys comes to the ring, Mongo says, uh, if you aren't tuned into this, you may as well be watching, and then he just trails off as if he's going to say Monday Night Raw. Right. Which sounds like an insult at first, but then when you think about what he's saying, he's saying, if you're not watching Nitro, you may as well be watching Monday Night Raw. Right. Which sounds like you're endorsing your competitor. <laughs> hey, you know what? Watch Nitro. But if you don't, you should just check out that Monday Night Raw. You might right. as well. Yeah, like it's option A and option B. And and Eric Bischoff kind of makes the, the point of like cutting him off before he says it because – uh, for the very first few weeks of Nitro, Eric Bischoff takes very different approaches. Right. <laughs> I, especially with next week, as you'll as you'll hear in that one. Um, but sometimes he's like, don't. He makes it deliberate that we're not going to mention WWF at all. They're the opposition that shall right. not be named. Yeah. And then sometimes he just says, well, they came from the WWF. Right. They came from that place that sucks. Uh, so his his whole demeanor towards the competition is like very very inconsistent. So before the bell rings for this match, Lex Luger wanders out from the backstage area. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! This uh, in 1995, this was crazy. Yes. Um, Lex had been basically positioned in WWF as the replacement for Hulk Hogan after Hogan had sort of left the company on bad terms after the steroid trial. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hogan, for a brief period in like 93 and 94, was retired from pro wrestling. Yes. Lex was positioned as his All-American successor. That fizzled out. Um, kind of WrestleMania 10 was the last gasp of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lost to Yokozuna, and instead Bret Hart won the championship, and the company went with Bret as their number one guy. Luger ended up in a tag team with... Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, called Stars and Stripes, and that went nowhere. I, I don't even think they won the tag team championships. No, and, but they were the Allied Powers. Oh, thank you, thank yes. you. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, Stars and Stripes. That would include a British guy, Allied Powers. Yes. Um, and, and I just wanted to note that um, the night before, WWF, WWF had a house show in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which had Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels and Lex Luger. Defeat the WWF Tag Team Champions Owen Hart and Yokozuna by disqualification. Okay. So he was halfway across the country the night before. That's nuts. And in from all the stories about it is that they were they kept Lex Luger as top secret and uh, and they had him wherever their backstage was mm-hmm. at the Mall of America, like they 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 put him in, they sequestered him or whatever into a room, made sure no one could see him until he showed up. Right. And, and and from what, from the, the way the history tells it is that even the people in the WWF, when they were watching, were surprised. Right. He had, um, he had been working without a contract, on a per appearance basis. His his contract had expired, and he was just working without a contract, which is insane, mm-hmm. um, considering that res- uh, promoters have been burned by stuff like that before. Certainly not like that was the first time that it ever happened to Vince. Yeah. Uh, so he was working without a contract and he had talked to W he had negotiated with WCW and everyone knew that, but it kind of fell through. And so he was still just working per appearance with WWF. And then he talked to sting who was their real life, very close friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and sting went to Bischoff on his behalf because Bischoff did not like Lex Luger. My contract basically had expired, but I'm fully anticipating I'd work out an agreement 
and stay on board with the WWE family. Lex Luger's contract was coming up at WWE. Now, I had never been a fan of Lex Luger on a personal level or on a professional level. And Sting was a close friend of Luger's. And Sting came to me and said, look, give the guy another chance. We always traveled together. We were very close personal friends and still are. He was a primary facilitator and that got me together with Eric Bischoff. I called Lex and I said, look, you might want to keep this meeting quiet because if it word gets back to WWE that you're talking to me, you might put your, your opportunity there at risk. So we agreed that neither one of us would talk about it. So I offered him 100 grand, thinking, what the hell, he's gonna turn me down anyway and I can at least tell Sting I tried. And surprisingly enough, he took the deal. Um, now, a part of the reason why he made that offer is because of the aforementioned Vader situation. Um, oh, they had sure. wanted Vader coming out and challenging, they wanted Vader coming out and challenging Hogan for next week's show. Mm -hmm. That was going to be the big deal. Vader comes out and we're going to have a title match next week. Once that fell through, they felt like they had to have a major angle on the show and they had to have a major match for next week because it was the first week they were going to go head to head with Raw. Yeah. So Lex Luger coming out um, very surprisingly became the sort of backup, the, the new plan to go with now that Vader was not going to be a part of the show anymore. So uh, Lex Luger is really a huge beneficiary of Vader getting in a fight with Paul Orndorff. Yeah, and I would say that the returning Lex Luger to WCW, immediately challenging Hogan to have this match the next week where I, I, I can't recall when those two ever faced each other, yep. is a way better deal than having Vader once again trying to get the belt from Hogan. Right. When at, at that point, no one could really believe that Vader was going to get him because that whole spring, it was just every big show was ending with Hulk Hogan beating Vader. Well, and the um, the report from Meltzer is that Vader, there was talk that Vader would win the belt from Hogan on the September 11th show, so next week, essentially. Hmm. But that that idea was nixed, and uh, Meltzer doesn't say it, but he, he alludes to kind of, you can guess where upon the food chain that idea got nixed. Meaning right. Hogan with his creative control clause, right? Got he. Everyone was on board with having this huge title change because mm -hmm. that would really solidify Nitro as a show to watch. WWF never changed the the heavyweight championship on a TV show, right? If that had happened in the second week of Nitro, mm -hmm. that would be a holy shit moment. Mm -hmm. um, but Hogan was he was a politician. He wanted to be the champ. He had creative control built into his contract. So mm -hmm. uh, you know what, brother. Uh, I don't see myself losing to Vader, brother. I need yeah. the heat. So, uh, that's my Hogan. I'll probably <laughs> yeah, do that good. a lot. Uh, that also reminds... I mean, think about that. It reminds me of what Hogan says at the end of the uh, show, but we can get to that a little later. Yep, so um, I don't have a ton to say about this Sting-Flare match. It's mm. um, everything that every Sting-Flare match ever was. Yeah. It's good. Um, Sting dominates, Flair bumps around, Flair makes Sting look like a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Sting basically doesn't sell for Flair until like he has to after Flair has used some underhanded tactics. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're kind of back and forth. It's all, all the spots that you would expect. The Flair flop, Flair going to the top rope, mm -hmm. Sting no selling, uh, figure four, figure four gets reversed. Yeah. At the point when the figure four gets reversed, out comes Arn Anderson in a tracksuit looking like an angry 90s dad. Yes. Uh, or in other words, looking like Arn Anderson. <laughs> he gets into the ring and he attacks Sting a little bit. 
Then he attacks Ric Flair uh, more than he did Sting. He um, So they had kind of come into this show with a storyline going between Arn and Flair, of course, longtime best friends, members of the Four Horsemen stable, where they were kind of breaking up because Flair started saying that Arn no longer had kind of the killer instinct. Um, and somehow... Somehow that resulted in Arn being the heel and Flair being the face, which seems confusing, but that's how it worked. I mean, people in WCW wanted to cheer for Ric Flair. Yeah. There's a number of times in his career where he just became a face because no one in the South was going to boo Ric Flair. It just right. wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So Arn comes out, he beats up Flair, Flair runs away, and then a very confusing series of events happens. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. First, Arn looks like he's going to come fight Sting. And that's going to be the the big angle that happens. Mm-hmm. But instead, a guy comes like from out of nowhere and starts yelling at Bobby the Brain Heenan. Then starts yelling at Mongo. He like really wants to start shit with Mongo. Mm-hmm. He's a giant. He's clearly a wrestler. So it's not like just a drunk fan wandered in. You know this guy's a wrestler, but no one explains who he is. I don't. I think this is his WCW debut. So yes, nobody yes, knows who he is. No one knows what's going on. Then out of nowhere, Randy Savage appears. Mm-hmm. You can barely hear him say the wrestler's name. It's Scott Norton, yeah. um, who who certainly a lot of wrestling fans are going to know. Um, but you barely hear him say Norton and says, like, I, I was wondering when you would show up here, which is a weird thing to say about a wrestler no one's ever heard of at this point. Um, and then they sort of challenge each other to a match in the ring right now. Mm-hmm. No one still has explained to the audience who this is or what's going on. Yeah. Um, instead, they basically just go to Bischoff says, no way can you fight in the ring right now? He tells Norton, if he gets in the ring, he's never going to have a match at WCW. And then they, they go to commercial or actually they go to a, a promo for Sabu. Yes. That's kind of the funny thing. Bischoff is acting like there's going to be a criminal assault happening right now, but, but he's going to instead let's go to this promo video for Sabu. Yeah. So we see a video of Sabu, then we go to commercial. It's, yeah, and I think it's funny with the Sabu video in which most of the time he's beating up Barry Horowitz. Right. Which it's not it's not exactly intimidating. Um, and there's some, as you'll hear throughout a lot of Nitros, very generic rock music. Yes. Um, it doesn't really, it doesn't seem to fit Sabu at all. Um but then, you know, they show some clips of him doing moonsaults and all that. Then they go to commercial. So we come back from commercial to Mean Gene, who laments not having bought land where the Ball of America is when <laughs> he was a right. child. Because um, he, I don't know if he's from here originally, but he spent a lot of time in Minnesota, worked with the American Wrestling Association back mm. in the day. Uh, so that was kind of a funny line. Mean Gene's always good for a line or two. Yeah. Um, he's there to announce the winner of a Harley contest. So that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bischoff then tells us that he finally gives us Scott Norton's name, but he doesn't really explain any of the other things, why Norton came out, why he was pissed at Mongo. None of that is explained. And instead we go to a pre-filmed promo from uh, Michael Wall Street, who is uh, Mike Rotundo from uh, earlier in WCW, and then he portrayed IRS in WWF, mm-hmm. which you're certainly not going to be missing from this promo, 
Because he first takes a few shots at the WWF and says the new generation should be called the few generation, which Ooh. makes no sense. Yeah, what is he right? saying? That there's not a lot of them? <laughs> that the problem with WWF is they don't have enough wrestlers? It's the very next generation has very little people. Then... Uh, so then he says he came to WCW because that's where the real stars are. Mm-hmm. And then just in case you're still missing who he is, yeah. he says, and I'm sure the IRS is going to be watching me. <laughs> like, what the f- That's completely unnecessary. Now, it's such a bland, boring promo. Oh, too. yeah. He's terrible. Yeah. And he almost looks a little bit nervous doing it, too. Yeah. And I don't uh, think talking was ever Rotundo's strong suit. No, I, I just remember that when he was doing it a couple of times, it looked like he wanted to look over at the camera, then had to look back away again. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty awkward. Now, I, I, I know that the following week, he is referred to as VK Wall Street. But was he referred to as Michael Wall Street in this one? He was only, I believe he was just referred to as Michael Wall Street. Okay, because the, the starting the next week when he actually wrestles, then they decide to call him VK Wall Street instead. Right, and then I think I think a few weeks after that they call him Michael Wall Street again. <laughs> I think his name changes several times. Yeah. Um. So we finally get to our our main event, which is Hulk Hogan against Big Bubba Rogers. Mm-hmm. Big Bubba Rogers is Ray Trailer, formerly the Big Boss Man in WWF. Uh, he came to WCW. And worked a few kind of versions of the boss man gimmick mm-hmm. um, until some legal threats from WWF uh, got them to change him. So they just kind of made him Big Bubba Rogers, who, as near as I can tell, his gimmick is I'm a fat southern guy. Like, I, uh, there really didn't seem to be much direction going on with. He's a fat guy. He's called Big Bubba. But he wears suspenders and pants and, like, a button-up shirt while he wrestles, which is just very confusing. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't know why he's Hogan's opponent for what should be an important... I mean, this is the main event of their first show. Yeah. And they're going with a guy who was never much of a big deal, even in the WWF. I mean, mm-hmm. he was Intercontinental Champion, and that was about it. Was he even? Cha- I know no. he had matches for it. No, he. So he, he contended for the Intercontinental Championship. Yes. Okay. For some reason, I thought that match where he beat the Mountie and the Mountie had to spend a night in jail was for the IC title. Nope, that was just pride. Okay. Okay. And not having to spend a night in jail, I guess. Oh yeah, the pride <laughs> of not being in jail. So I don't have a um, like the the Sting Flair match. I'm not going to sit here and call it move for move. Mm-hmm. It's a Hogan match. It's a dominant heel. Hogan sells for a long time mm-hmm. uh, until Bubba starts to go after Jimmy Hart outside the ring, at which point Hogan reverts into heel Hogan and uses Jimmy Hart's jacket to cover up Bubba's face yeah. and beat him while he's blinded. Mm-hmm. So Hogan cheats. Bubba, at no point that I remember, other than an eye gouge, yeah. uh, really cheats. Hogan is the one cheating in this match. Hogan also at one point um, when Bubba is like down on his knees, he grabs him by underneath the chin and starts using uh, close fist punches. Yep, yep. Uh, which is like, and the camera is right there. You could tell he's doing it. Uh, but there, yeah, like like you said, when you look back at the years of Hulk Hogan, he was playing the heel through and through. Yep. So Bubba eventually regains control of the match and hits a side slam. Uh, which is Hogan's cue to stop selling mm-hmm. and start hulking. Yep. So Hogan hulks up. He hits his moves of doom. 
I will say, um, uh, as, as far as saying nice things about Hogan goes, he gets a lot of height on his leg drop <laughs> in this match. It is a great-looking leg drop. I mean, it's like, I, it really is one of the most impressive Hogan leg drops I can remember seeing. <laughs> um, and before I forget, I should have mentioned this when he comes out, I, it really makes me sad to see, not that I'm supporting steroids or supporting someone destroying their body for my entertainment, mm-hmm. although that's going to be a part of wrestling, um, but it's really always a bummer to me to see skinny 1995 Hogan. Yeah. You know, he looks like the Hogan I remember is like the 8990 hmm. WWF big swollen Hogan. Yeah. And seeing him post steroid era, he just looks it looks wrong. He looks hmm. he alludes to it himself in the Pasta Mania uh promo by talking about how he's been eating pasta and he's slim and trim, which is funny to think that pasta in the 90s you could get away by saying with saying <laughs> pasta's helping me stay slim and trim. <laughs> but he kind of I think he's I think he's trying to tell like Get the message out there that he's slim and trim because he wants to be, not because he's deflating from sure. no longer being able to use steroids. Yeah. And and when he came to WCW the year before, he was even thinner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was, around the time, and maybe this is just my memory being flawed, but I think later as we go on, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on this, I think he starts using again because I feel like NWO Hogan was pretty big again, wasn't yeah. he? So anyway, uh, after the win, the Dungeon of Doom comes out to beat up Hogan. Um, they're a few uh, a stable of cartoonishly evil mm-hmm. um, mix of like supernatural gimmicks, foreigner gimmicks. Um, they've been feuding with Hogan for a while. Uh, I will definitely play some audio in here of their most famous moment. Uh, the Dungeon of Doom was formed when Kevin Sullivan found a weird uh, supernatural entity out in a cave somewhere that he would call father and he would, uh, this father, this guy, big fat guy out in a cave somewhere would order Sullivan to destroy Hulkamania. They would talk about it a lot. Um, And in one amazing uh, pre-tape segment, Hogan finds his way to the cave somehow. He's been tricked into a cave in the jungle by being told there'd be Hulkamaniacs there. When he gets there, he's distressed to find there's no Hulkamaniacs. He's very uh, unhappy to find out that the water in the cave is not hot. Um, and then he's attacked by the debuting giant, uh, who some of our WWF-centric fans will know as the Big Show. So Big Show's very first appearance was with WCW as the giant as a part of this Dungeon of Doom stable. Mm-hmm. So they're out attacking Hogan, and who should come to help Hogan but Lex Luger. Lex Luger is back. So Luger and Hogan clear the ring, uh, they're kind of back-to-back, so Hogan doesn't see that Lex is helping him. Mm-hmm. And then when they bump into each other, they turn around, and Hogan's immediate reaction is to be really angry at Lex Luger for seemingly no reason. Um, <laughs> he just he decides that Luger is, mm-hmm. must be there to fight him. When it seems, even if you didn't see it, it seems like it would be pretty clear that he was helping you. There was eight guys, and now there's no guys, and you punched three of them. Mm-hmm. Well, who punched all the other guys? Right. You know? Uh, it seems like you could have done the math on that, Hogan. Yeah. It also, um, bringing back Lex Luger, it did seem that his appearance in the first place was weird because he just showed up before Sting and Flair. They right. kind of looked at him, and then he left. He smirked. He came out and smirked and then left. Yeah. It was a real self-satisfied look on his face. I, I didn't know if they did that because they wanted like an earlier hook in the show for someone yeah. that was watching. 
because it made more sense for him to show up uh, for Hogan. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point. I really think if they'd done the show a year or two later when wrestling was more used to these big swerves and these huge debuts, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like they would have not made that mistake and he would have only showed up in the main event segment. What they might have done is tease throughout the show like we saw a, a former competitor walking around the mall. What's he doing here? Right. Is he going to get involved? And then you, you kind of hang out to the main event to see who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way they did it, it doesn't compel me to keep watching because he came out and then he walked away. I, I had no reason to think at that point he's going to get involved later in the show. Right. So, yeah, you're right. It is a very, very weird choice. So Lex and Hogan are standing off, uh, looking like they're about to fight. Sting and Macho Man run down and kind of keep them separated. Mm-hmm. Um, Bischoff says we're going to go to commercial. Weirdly, as we're going commercial, Heenan just starts yelling, wait a minute, wait a minute. And they do wait a minute, and absolutely nothing happens, and nobody says anything, and then they go to commercial. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, but when we get back from commercial, me and Gene is now in the ring with a microphone. Mm-hmm. He uh, kind of just asks Hogan, what do, you, what do you make of this? And Hogan asks Luger what he's doing there. Uh, Luger takes a couple pot shots at WWE. He says that he's sick of playing with uh, boys. He yeah. wants to he wants to be where the big boys play, which is WCW's slogan at the time. All right, we're trying to sort all of this out here at the Mall of America on the premier edition. I don't know what's going on, Hulk Hogan. What are you doing here, Luger? You've got no business in my backyard, Luger. Well, let me tell you why I'm here. I'll make it clear right up front. I'm here for one reason and one reason only. People say that you're the number one wrestler in the world today. You wear that WCW belt around your waist. And you know what? That makes you the only world's heavyweight champion. And I'm here to take that belt. That's why I'm here. Let me tell you something, Luger. One second, before you jump the gun, hold on just one second and let me finish. Then you'll have your peace. Just let me finish. I've been down the same roads as you. I've been where you've been. I've beaten the same people you've beaten. I am sick and tired of playing around with kids. I'm here to get it on with the big boys, and that means you. And I don't care whether it's next month, next year, or five years from now, I'm gonna get my shot. You see this, brother? This is the WCW heavyweight title, brother. I'm the champion, and that's the way it's going to stay forever and a day. I know where you've been, brother. You've been playing games. I'm going to have to give you your due, brother. I know when you started and how long you've been at it, brother. But when you come in the WCW, when you get in Hulk Hogan's face, brother, there's thousands of Hulkamaniacs, brother, that are going to stand behind me each and every bit of the way, Luger. So as far as I'm concerned, brother, as great as you may be, you don't have to prove nothing to me, brother. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till next month. Just stick that stinky palm of yours out, brother. Shake my hand, and I'll put the WCW title on the line next Monday on Monday Nitro right in Miami. I'll put the title the WCW. You got it. You better kill like the home run. You Ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe it. Apparently next Monday, yes, it's been confirmed. Hogan and Luger for the WCW 
WCW Heavyweight title if we can keep it under wraps. Eric Bischoff, Steve McMichael, the brain. I can hardly wait till next Sunday in the meantime. From the Vault of America, have a great one. Or he said, I'm sick of playing around with kids, is what he says. Which is funny because Something. he insults WWF by calling them kids, but then he says he wants to play with the big boys, mm-hmm. which still sounds like you're a toddler. Right. <laughs> like, my three-year-old talks about wanting to play with the big boys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so he, he cuts that. He says that he's walked down the same roads that Hogan's walked down, and he's beat the same people that Hogan has beat. Mm-hmm. And he wants a title shot. Hogan says uh, that Luger has nothing to prove to him, that Luger doesn't have to wait until next week right. or next month. All he has to do is stick out his stinky hand mm-hmm. and shake Hulk's, and then he can have a title shot next week. <laughs> so right. I guess Lex does have to wait until <laughs> next week after all, because it was like two sentences ago that you said he didn't have yeah. to wait until next week. And, and, and Lex, Lex said... Initially, I don't care if I have to wait till next week. Right. And then Hogan says, you don't have to wait till next week. And then they shake hands and then they're going to have it next week. <laughs> only, only Hulk Hogan could have a promo with Lex Luger and still make the least sense of the two. <laughs> right. <laughs> so me and Gene sends it over to Bischoff. Bischoff lets us know that next week we're going to see a title match between uh, Hogan and Lex Luger. We're going to see the debut of Sabu. Mm-hmm. We're going to see the debut of Michael Wall Street. And then he signs off weirdly well not looking at the camera. He's, I think he thinks the camera's off him already. So he's just staring ahead. You see him fold up his like uh, little folder with his announcer notes in there. Just kind of toss it on the table. Yeah. And then the camera like pans out to a wide shot of the rotunda. Also, at that point, uh, Mongo McMichael has Pepe. Oh, yeah. His little goddamn chihuahua that starts making appearances regularly mm-hmm. oh my god and yeah we'll talk about pepe because uh, he usually is wearing a costume so we'll make sure every week and yeah you what and, costume and, and this week wearing. he had a little devil costume on uh, and mongo mcmichael said he was so disappointed in the dungeon of doom he's gonna make pepe take that costume off right now i i missed all of that and i honestly think it's because i was at the end of the show I was so tired of trying to pay attention to what Mongo was saying. Like, even for <laughs> laughing at its sake, yeah. it's just hard. It's hard to listen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite line of the night, announcing-wise, I had this in my notes, but I must have skipped it because it just occurred to me. My favorite uh, line of the night, not ironic anyway, my favorite actually funny line mm-hmm. is when Bobby the Brain Heenan calls Mongo uh, McNuggets instead of McMichael. Yeah. I thought... That was pretty good. <laughs> and, and to his credit, Mongo uh, has a couple good names for Bobby. He calls him at one point Bobby the Stain, mm-hmm. which I think is funny. And, and there was, uh, for some reason, I thought Bobby Hernia. Yeah, Bobby Hernia funny. pretty funny. <laughs> so, all right, who was your MVP of this? And, and yes, um, for anyone listening who's a wrestling podcast fan, I'm definitely just stealing the MVP uh, and match of the night awards that uh, the Attitude Era podcast and the New Generation Project podcast they both do that, and I think mm-hmm. it's a great segment. Um, so yeah, I did. We're we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna name an MVP and a match of the night for each show. Right. Um, well, for myself, I said that the show MVP was Hulk Hogan. Okay. Um, I I went with him because he on the very first show where they get the probably the biggest audience for WCW that there is, he was able to plaster Pasta Mania all over the place. Yeah. 
Um, he got his product out there, and he was in the main event. And he, I mean, he also is a champion, so right. it yep. should be focused around the champion. But he was able to get the, the show focused on him and the hype up being him defending the title next week. Um, and like you said, his tremendous leg drop is also a oh, plus. Oh, leg drop was, it was really, really good. Yeah. Go, go back and watch it and really focus on that leg drop. I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> so I, I gave my show MVP to Hulk Hogan. I gave my MVP of the night to Eric Bischoff. Oh. Uh, not particularly for his performance as a play-by-play announcer, which I thought was garbage. <laughs> um, but I think as an executive producer, making some solid choices to differentiate the show from Raw, mm-hmm. some of which maybe ultimately didn't pan out, like having it at the Mall of America, but I still think that it was a bold choice, and I respected that. Yep. Um, starting the match, w- or starting uh, with everyone that he had at his, uh, his disposal to start the show with Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman, mm-hmm. I think is really forward-thinking of Bischoff. I think that was a really, really smart play. Um, so overall, I'm going to say that Bischoff, and, and ending the show with a huge announcement for the next week yeah. that the belt would be defended, um, which is huge. And, uh, you know, WWE at the time, their, their main competitor, Monday Night Raw, as I said earlier, it was like three squash matches, mm-hmm. and then the main event was a guy you'd at least heard of who's still kind of a jobber yeah. against whoever the real star is. Right. You know, the, the first raw main event uh, was, if I remember right, it was Damien Demento versus the undertaker. <laughs> so like you've heard of Damien Demento, but he's still a jobber. Yeah. He might not be local wrestler, Mike Stevens or whatever, mm-hmm. but he's still a jobber. Yeah. You know, whereas nitro was really coming out swinging. So for making those kinds of choices, I think Bischoff has to be my MVP of this particular show. Yeah, that's that is a that's definitely a good choice. Yeah. Who uh, has your match of the night? Uh, well, I I went with Sting versus Ric Flair as the match of the night. Um, I I still I feel like that Brian Pillman and Jushin Liker is kind of, uh, in itself, kind of an iconic match for being the first match of Nitro. Yep. Um, I just. Looking back at it, there were definitely um, the chemistry was a little bit off between those two. Yeah. Whereas uh, Sting versus Ric Flair can have a good match basically with their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just it was compelling because I mean it was a tile match and Ric Flair looked like he was about to win the championship. So I I thought that was really it was it, I I thought it was a really good high point and and displayed. What I think is essentially the most WCW match that there is is Sting versus Ric Flair. Oh, that's very true. Um, so I I went with that match. My match is going to be Pillman Liger. Um, I thought they did the most they could with seven minutes of time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were as we said a few issues, but if there was a match from the show that I wanted to rewatch as just a match, I feel like that would be the one. Whereas. Sting and Flair is certainly good, yeah. but I can get that match at a thousand other WCW shows. Sure. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, which is both a good and bad thing. You're right that it is the most WCW match imaginable. Yeah. And that match is on the first Nitro and it's on the last Nitro yeah. as well. So it certainly is is historic and important for those reasons. Um, but that brings us to the end of our show. Each week at the end of our show, I'm going to do a very quick recap of Raw that same week just to provide a little historical context for Monday Night Wars. Mm -hmm. This week, of course, there were no raw results, so we won't have that. I'm also going to provide a ratings breakdown 
uh, between the two shows. However, there was no Raw ratings this week. Mm-hmm. So WCW premiered to a 2.9 rating, wow. which is very impressive for yeah. the time. That, um, Raw, you know, working without an uh, opponent, you almost never saw a 2.9 in 1995. Mm-hmm. So that's a great number that I'm sure WCW was very happy with. Yeah, because I would imagine that they would look at that and say, we we pulled in all almost all the WWF viewers. Right. You know, because I'm not sure what they probably, what they believe. I don't know what how Saturday Night did during that time. I don't know what they expected. It was for, in the, I think it was in below twos. Okay. It was or lower than two, I should yeah. say. Because so. I'm not sure what they expect for WCW fans. But if you look at a 2.9, yeah. something that's higher than Raw, they have to be like, everyone that wanted to watch Raw watched us instead. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. This has been the first episode of the 20 Years of Nitro. It's a goodbye from me, Tim. And it's a goodbye from me, Dave, as well. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Hurry, my son! Get away from the stove! The real white Bengal tiger approaches! The bait has been set! My father, I smell his presence also! I feel him! Where am I? There's no Hulkamaniacs here! I've never been here before! It's not hot! What is this place? I know you. I know you too. You two are behind the demise of Hulkamania. I know about the Zodiac. I know about the dangerous Kamala. Oh yeah. I know about the Man-Eater. The Shark. But Edston Stone is a legacy, the immortality of Hulkamania. And you too will be buried beneath it. You don't understand, Hogan. This is where darkness dwells and lives. Nobody has ever been able to defeat the immortal Hulk Hogan. Accept yourself. You see, Hogan, you're the one that created me. And because of that, it's this simple. Your demise is etched in